0: Chapter 6 of the Black Motor Car. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Black Motor Car by Harris Burland. Chapter 6 Mr. Arthur Home. Shortly after six o'clock, most of the guests had departed and Lady Agnes, released from part of her social duties, cut the rest and slipped away unobserved to the bottom of the garden. As she reached the gate, which opened out through a thick yew hedge into the park beyond, there was a rustling in the bushes by the edge of the path, and her favourite Irish terrier came sheepishly to her side. His nose was covered with mould, and there was little doubt he had been engaged in unlawful pursuits. "'Oh, Ginger!' she said in a tone of reproach. The dog looked up at her with pathetic brown eyes and wagged his tail slowly and doubtfully. She stooped down and patted his rough brown coat. "'Come on, you old villain,' she said, holding the gate open for him to pass through, and then the two went together down the sloping grasslands of the park, under the great spreading oaks and chestnuts, and through a narrow copse, which fringed this side of the Heatherstone estate for two miles. They emerged into a small open space, thickly overgrown with bracken. Beyond it lay the stone wall, which bordered on the road. Everywhere else the copse touched the wall, and the explanation of this open space was not far to seek. In the centre of it lay the ruins of a small cottage, a mere heap of grey stones almost hidden by the ferns which sprung up round it that which was now a piece of wasteland had evidently been once a garden lady agnes brushed her way through the bracken and climbing up to the highest part of the ruins looked out over the wall the view that lay before her eyes presented a strange contrast to the wooded slopes of the park behind her on the other side of the road Flowed a sluggish brown stream several yards in width. The tide was coming in, but on either side of the water there was still a narrow belt of mud, brown on the surface, but black as coal underneath. Two small boats lay on the mud, and a couple of oyster smacks were anchored out in midstream. A thin curl of blue smoke rose from the stovepipe of one of them. Deep black holes in the mud showed where the fishermen had walked ashore from their stranded dinghies. Beyond the creek, the flat marshes, seamed with little gullies and dykes, ran for miles till they reached the sea. To the south, the creek itself narrowed down into a mere ditch. To the north, it widened and widened, until it turned around a bend and went eastward to finally join a broad estuary that swept through square miles of sand and mud into the ocean here and there a small cottage showed up from the waste around it the home of some lonely fisherman or of one of the watchmen of the oyster fisheries these habitations seemed only to accentuate the loneliness of the desolate marshes it was a familiar scene to lady agnes cliff but it was one that had never lost its fascination for her to some people the waste places of the earth the marshes the deserts the lonely fields of ice and snow are only barren and uninteresting but the imaginative mind finds more room for its luxuriant fancy in such spots than in the most beautiful landscapes to lady agnes as she looked out from the border of her father's splendid park these dreary marshes represented the unknown the unexplored the edge of the world as children she and lord harry had sat secure in their broken stronghold of grey stones and looked out toward the east watching for the enemy that never came though they firmly believed that he lay hidden somewhere beyond the muddy creek often of an afternoon they would spy his movements in the white sail of a distant boat in the stir of some rushes in the rustling of a bush in the sudden flight of a heron or some wild duck, but they never saw him, though they knew well where he lived to the northeast and distant some eight miles as the crow flew. A small stony hillock rose up against the sky on the side of it, stood a large red brick house. It was almost invisible from their fortress but both of them had explored the long road which ran to it between two creeks. The house had always, as far as they could remember, been unoccupied. It was a gaunt pile of red brick, with no glass in the shuttered windows, just the hiding-place for a secret foe. Neither of the children had ever had any doubt that this was the actual home of their unseen enemy lady agnes looked at it on this particular afternoon and smiled at the remembrance of her childish fancies yet she was still child enough to regard the place with some suspicion it was odd that it had not been let for so many years her thoughts were interrupted by the dog who hurriedly scrambled from her side and brushed his way through the bracken barking cheerfully in a few moments lord harry appeared "'She arose and waved her hand to him. "'He strode through the bracken and smiled. "'But for all that there was an unwanted look of anxiety on his brown face. "'I am sorry, Agnes, to keep you waiting,' he said, "'as he climbed up the heap of stones to her side. "'But really, these politicians are most insistent people. "'My head is going round.' He sat down by her side and looked so earnestly at her that she turned her eyes away to the north. "'I've been all right, Harry,' she said. "'I have been looking at the Red Castle, the home of our ancient foe.' The young man laughed. "'It's been let,' he said. "'No more room for imagination in that quarter. "'I rode out there the other day. "'There was glass in the windows "'and the garden is being cleared up with a scythe.' Who's taken it she asked i don't know he replied a stranger to these parts i should say it is eight miles from a shop you know thus ends the dreams of our childhood the girl said with a smile i have no doubt he is a worthy man and will come to our garden parties do you recollect harry how we pictured him a tall red-bearded scoundrel with yellow teeth and rusty armour if i remember right he always crept or slunk or crawled yes i remember he replied gravely but i had spotless armour inlaid with gold and i stood straight up to him and slew him before your eyes i think your favourite dress was crimson velvet trimmed with ermine it was harry it was "'very hot in summer, and most unfashionable in colour. "'How funny these dreams of one's childhood are, Harry! "'How unpractical, and how seldom realised. "'That's true, Agnes,' he replied slowly. "'Yet there's one dream of my childhood "'that was very practical, and which could yet be realised. "'You were, if I remember right, always a princess.' and generally in distress. Well, Harry? Well, he said in a low voice, you are still a princess to me. But not in distress, Harry, she faltered, looking away from him, for she dared not look into his face. No, not exactly in distress, he said, but not too happy. A princess with a stepmother, a sort of Cinderella, neglected, with no ugly sister she broke in true he replied but with a brother who wants the nonsense kicked out of him it is a pity your father did not send overcliff to a public school poor overcliff well the young man continued in a hesitating voice i'm not exactly a prince but but well agnes you know what i am politician i believe she said archly but still she did not venture to look him in the face her woman's instinct told her what was coming next damn politics the young man cried fiercely i beg your pardon agnes but you seem to think politics is everything it appears to be a family failing lady agnes had no reply to make to this emphatic statement and for a few moments both were silent the girl was rapidly casting about for some means whereby she could lead her companion out of the difficult path he had chosen, and the young man was uncertain how best to proceed. The thread of the conversation was becoming slightly tangled. "'Agnes!' he suddenly blurted out. Then he stopped, and his brown hand closed over her slender fingers. The colour flushed to her cheek. "'Agnes!' he repeated softly and tenderly but before he could say another word the thunder of wheels and hoofs the rattling of chains and the hoarse cries of a man burst upon their ears lady agnes started to her feet glad of the opportunity to move from a somewhat embarrassing position and ran down to the wall lord harry followed her cursing at the interruption the noise grew louder and louder Looking along the road to the south, they saw three great horses, with heads down, tearing madly along in a cloud of dust, and behind them an enormous dray, swaying from side to side, and a man standing up and leaning back on the reins with all his strength. "'A runaway!' cried Lord Harry. "'Keep back from the wall, Agnes, for heaven's sake!' And he pulled her away with some violence. He knew well enough that a swerve of the horses to the left would hurl all the contents of the dray on the top of them another man had heard the clatter and cries along the road he climbed out of the hatchway of one of the oyster smacks and stood upon the deck a tall broad-shouldered man with a bronzed weather-beaten face and a golden beard and moustache he was dressed in a blue jersey blue serge trousers and a pair of heavy fisherman's boots he came to the edge of the smack and glanced keenly at the runaway horses and then at the two figures behind the park wall when the dray got within fifty yards of the onlookers lord harry sprang lightly over the wall and crossed the road he was an athlete and moreover absolutely devoid of fear he thought it possible that he might catch the reins of the leader and pull the whole concern to a standstill lady agnes cried out to him to come back and the man on the smack yelled something out to him that he did not hear the horses came at him like an avalanche he sprang at the reins of the leader and was swung off his feet if the horses had kept straight on he must inevitably have been trampled under their hoofs but as luck would have it they caught sight of the girl's white dress and swerved sharply toward the creek, as though they had been struck broadside by a tornado. Lord Harry was swung round like a stone in a sling, jerked off his hold, and shot out half a dozen yards into the water. The driver went flying after him. The contents of the van scattered and broke in every direction. The horses plunged a few yards through the mud, slipped struggled to their feet slipped again rolled over and kicked furiously churning the mud into a filthy black slime the driver was pitched onto the leader's back whence he ricocheted into a soft bed of mud two feet deep he fell over and almost disappeared but he rose unhurt a filthy spectacle spitting mud from his mouth and dripping with it from head to foot. Lord Harry Quee was not so fortunate. The man on the smack kicked off the big boots and looked keenly at the foam-flecked water where he had disappeared. It was several seconds before he appeared on the surface, and then he was some yards farther down the stream. He sank almost as suddenly as he had risen. The man on the smack looked no longer, but dived into the swift tide and swam rapidly to the spot where the body had vanished. He had seen at a glance that the young man was either stunned or dead. Once more the head appeared and vanished, this time but a few feet from the rescuer. The latter dashed through the water, and diving down, caught the arm of the drowning man, and brought him to the surface. The body was limp and still, "'and it was easy work to swim with it to the shore. "'He did not touch bottom until he got into three feet of water, "'for to swim was mere child's play "'compared to walking through the mud. "'And then he lifted Lord Harry Quee onto his shoulder "'and carried him to the grass by the side of the road. "'Lady Agnes came to him with a white face. "'Is he? Is he?' she faltered. "'He's all right.' replied the man roughly run up to the house that's a good girl and get help blankets hot water something to carry him up on i will rub him down and i'll bet he's smiling when you come back but run like the devil in case we don't happen to get him round the girl turned without another word and clambering over the wall disappeared from sight hi you there yelled the man to the driver who had cut the traces and got his three horses to their feet just leave your damned horses and lend a hand here they will walk out of the mud by themselves now i guess the man came through the slime a pitiable spectacle black and odorous from head to foot oozing mud from every part of his clothing the sailor gave him a few rapid instructions and then hurrying to one of the dinghies pushed it off, and sculled over to the smack. In less than two minutes he was on his way back, clothed in a dry jersey and trousers, and with a bottle of brandy and a rough blanket in the bottom of the boat. Then both men set to work with a will, and in less than ten minutes Lord Harry sighed and opened his eyes. A quarter of an hour before the arrival of the relief party from the hall, he was clothed in a borrowed serge suit and smoking a cigarette and was chatting cheerfully to the man who had pulled him out of the water the sailor went over to the dray and gave a hand to the driver who was trying to save some of his cases from the encroaching tide the two men toiled hard at their task and succeeded in depositing most of the boxes on the road two of them however defied their united efforts and they lay half-buried in the black mud, with a tide eddying round them. One of the cases was broken, and it appeared to be full of metal castings of small cogs, bars of steel, bolts, screws, and bits of the framework of some engine. The three horses, black with mud and trembling from head to foot, watched the operations with apparent unconcern, and grazed unfeelingly by the edge of the road. Lord Harry Que strolled down and looked at the address on the labels. They were all consigned to the same person Mr William Jordison, the Red House, Gorehaven, Essex. Hm, said Lord Harry to himself. That's curious. At last a number of people came crashing through the copse, and scrambled over the edge of the wall. Lady Agnes rushed up to Lord Harry, and overwhelmed him with a torrent of questions. How did he feel? Was he cold? Was he feverish? Did his head ache? Was he wet? And so on. A crowd of servants from the hall, armed with blankets, hot-water bottles, brandy, whisky, stretchers, etc., stood sheepishly by, "'and looked in vain for someone who was in need of them. "'It was with difficulty they could be restrained "'from applying a course of treatment to the driver of the dray. "'He acquiesced in the brandy, but drew the line at hot water bottles. "'Agnes,' said Lord Harry, when she had exhausted her torrent of questions, "'let me introduce you to this gentleman who has saved my life.' We shall probably see much of him during the next few weeks. Mr. Arthur Home, Lady Agnes Cliff End of chapter 6